everybody, and welcome to Roll It, a movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Ty Lore. How you doing, Ty? What up, what up, what up? I'm doing good, man. I got these these allergies are hitting me. Uh, fresh cut grass and everything. <laughs> Walking outside, I just, oh, yeah. I'm just like... <sighs> sounding like I'm snoring all day. <laughs> yeah, I was a little <laughs> stuffed up last week, so like we'll be... By the next time we record, hopefully we'll both sound yeah. normal. This just evens it out. Um... Yeah, exactly. Uh, this week we are we're busting out one of the big guns. We are yeah. we're, we're been holding on to this one for a while. Yeah, this is at the top of I think every every movie podcast is at the top of their list to do eventually, and we're we're doing it. We're doing the big one, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, the nineteen sixty eight film directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring Kier Dela, Gary Lockwood, and Douglas Rain. So, Ty, uh, would you? Well, was this the first time you watched this? And no. also, what did you think about it? Yeah, it wasn't the first time I watched it, but it, it's been a while since I watched it. I think the last time I watched it was in high school or maybe college. I can't remember. Um, but it's been a good while. It's been like at least five, seven years ish. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It really is. And just like I just like watching it and thinking about how they filmed it and everything too, uh, but no, it's so it's so good at storytelling. It's just I don't know, dude. As far as like visual storytelling goes, minimal dialogue. It's just so good. Um, creme de la creme, dude. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know really what to say about it. It's just as good as I thought it was. Again, you know, like I was kind of nervous about that. I was like, man, am I gonna watch it now and then not like it as much? Because sometimes that happens, yeah. you know, on rewatch. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, anyways, no, I really enjoyed it. I like it. Five out of five, ten out of ten. It's so good, dude. What about you? I know this is like a. I know this is like a five out of five for you as well. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's up there, man. Uh, Kubrick. I, I pretty much. I, I, I have not watched a Kubrick movie. Kubrick hasn't made a film that I don't like. Yeah. Uh, I like some of them more. Some of them. Uh. I think some of them are masterpieces, and I think some of them are lesser masterpieces. You like watch um, all his movies so, on on a different scale, on a different standard <laughs> than the rest. Yeah, it's like you're it's like, like I know I I'm have... gonna like you, but I can like you a little less. Because <laughs> like when I try to rank my Kubrick movies, I'm like, well, this one's tied with like five or six others for first place. So it's yeah, it is a sliding scale with him because I mean he just makes I mean he just puts out banger after banger. Yeah. Uh, but Stanley this Kubrick is probably. Slaps. That should be Stanley Kubrick's last man. Dude, that should be a T-shirt. Um, but I mean, this is obviously at the top of any list because I mean, this is considered one of the greatest movies of all time, and it's one of the most iconic movies ever in multiple different aspects. Uh, one of the most unique movies ever. Uh, it's just this movie is it's it's amazing this that this movie exists in the form and structure and just everything about it just the the fact that it exists the way that it does it's just amazing the fact that it looks like it does and it was made in 68 1968 dude i know <laughs> it's insane 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 it's just yeah it's crazy this was made in 68 um yeah i mean it's 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 so good i saw this on the big screen last weekend uh and that's I'm why i'm so I jealous of that I, dude 
Dude, anytime you get the chance, next time I have the chance to watch it on the big screen again, I'm going to. Uh, anytime you get the chance, you have to see this on the big screen. It's just like, it's a whole new experience. I mean, I thought this was a masterpiece already, but it, it just like cranks the dial up to, to quote Spinal Tap and turns it up to 11. I mean, the just the audio, the visuals alone, amazing to see that big in front of you. You know, yeah. it takes up your whole your whole view that'd be so awesome but also dude. but the but the thing i didn't think about because i was like oh man i can't wait to see that freaking stargate sequence it's gonna be so freaking cool to look at that you know on the big screen right but the audio is so good uh and i remember of course you got the awesome scores they're the awesome score with the different uh all kinds of the different music set to different things and it's so all the music is great but like that, you got just the sound effects, the kind of the droning. You get the droning noises. You, you get know the who hates that? Noises. Who? Dogs, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, I can my see dogs, that. dude. Not a fan of the sound effects what? that Kubrick chose. Like when, uh, like the when siren? the siren did that beep. Yeah, the 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 loud. Yeah. The uh, siren the one, made was... my one dog waffle shake. When I was in the when I was watching it the other night, there was a girl a couple couple seats down from me, and I could see like in my per- peripheral vision. As soon as it started doing that, she like put her ear or put her hands on her. Ears. <laughs> I was like, "You got to know what you're coming in for." Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I mean, every just like the whole experience was just like so cool. So I can't wait to see it on the big screen again. Um, I could see that but, as just yeah. being like awesome, like a div- yeah. That I mean, like that's a whole new experience. It's too. and I also saw I did a I did a double feature this weekend and also saw Mandy in theaters. Yeah, uh, that's right. So took that iconic was, selfie. They're very, <laughs> I mean, they're very different. Yeah, shout out Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh they're very different films. Obviously, like in no way are they well. They're similar in the sense that they're both a little bit of psychedelic going on, but in very different way, in very different ways. Yeah. But it just like brought to the forefront of my mind, like how important it is to like see certain movies in theaters or in, you know, on the big screen with the, you know, with good sound mixing, good speakers, you know, nice surround sound. Uh, it's just like so important, like, both the movies I saw this weekend, 2001 and Mandy, like I already loved both of them, but they just put them up another level. Like I was like, it was just like a whole new experience. This one and then Mandy, I was like, I left thinking Mandy was a masterpiece. I loved that movie before, but like I left after watching it in theaters and I was like, that movie's a masterpiece. I mean, that movie was made to be seen in theaters just like this one is. Yeah. And if you see it on your TV, I mean, you still get it. You still... Uh, are still experiencing it, but I mean, it's a, it's a whole different thing, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope theaters stay for a long, long time. And I think they're coming back. They're coming back, come back strong after, you know, the last couple years when they, uh, took a heavy hit, but I'm glad I hope, I hope theaters last forever and people keep going and supporting whatever there is to support. So we keep getting cool stuff being made that we can see in theaters like this for sure. Um, but anyway, that's my rant about uh, 2001 slash theater viewing. But anyway, yeah, no, love this solid movie. take. I I totally back that take, hundred <laughs> percent. That's the that's the stance of Roll It podcast officially. 
<laughs> Stamped and approved. Yeah. Um so, uh yeah, I guess we got that out of the way. Let's uh let's do a recap and then we'll try to dig into this and try to keep it in a reasonable time time span cuz I mean this could easily turn into like a hardcore history episode where we do oh like five gosh. parts of 5 hours each or yeah. something. There's just so much to talk about, but we'll 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 try to keep it snappy. But anyway, all right, let's hear. It. Uh, let's let's do a summary. In a desolate landscape, a pre-human group of man apes fights for resources with other herbivores and another clan of apes. After being ran off from their water source from the neighboring clan, the apes witness a massive black monolith appear before them. As they are awed by it, they touch it, and soon after, the apes experience reason using a bone as a tool to kill for food and to fight off the other clan. A bone is thrown in the air, and one of the most famous cuts of all time takes place as we cut to a spaceship floating amongst the stars. Dr. Hayward Floyd flies to the moon in one of these ships to see a new discovery there, a massive rectangular black monolith. The monolith sends a signal towards Jupiter after it has been dug up and 18 months later a mission is on its way there among the crew are dr david bowman dr frank Poole, and supercomputer hal supposedly incapable of error after hal is incorrect in diagnosing a problem on the ship dave and frank talk about shutting him down worried hal will compromise the mission after finding out their plan hal sends frank adrift and while dave goes out to get him Hal kills the sleeping scientists aboard and refusing and refuses to let Dave back on. Dave gets back on though and soon dismantles Hal's core, learning about uh, the monolith along the way. After reaching Jupiter, Dave sees a monolith orbiting and experiences a barrage of light, roaring him through space and time. Dave is transported to a white room where he lives out the rest of his life rapidly and incomprehensibly. He is then transformed into a giant star baby that looks over the Earth. End of movie. So, uh, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, and if you haven't seen this, that probably makes no sense. Like, when you think about this plot, and you write it down, you're like, this is absurd. Yeah. You know? But, man, it works. It works. Uh, at least for me, it does. I know some, I saw this with my sister and she hated it. So, I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. It doesn't work for everybody, but boy, it works for me. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I like it. I think it's great. I mean, and you know me, I, this is coming from somebody who wasn't a big fan of, uh, I feel like this is, it kind of resembles tree of life in some ways. Yeah, I was going to bring dude, that up. Dude, and I freaking, you know what? No, I just need to say this out loud. I'm so mad that Tree of Life, for some reason, as, like, I don't know why, that's the one movie I chose to just straight up, I did not like it. I think about that movie way more than any other movie, and I hate it. It's, like, locked into my memory. And so I don't even know if I don't like it anymore. I think it might have flipped the switch on me, flipped the script. That's going to... That'll be the first movie we revisit. We'll do a second podcast on it. I might like it now, especially after watching this. Like, this is, I don't know. Or maybe I'll hate it even more. What if I just double down? What if it makes me double down my hatred? <laughs> um, to, uh, to tie in uh, the, the, one of the, spe- the special effects, well, it was 
it was a little awkward because Stanley Kubrick got the Oscar for special effects for this movie. The only Oscar he ever got as an individual. Um, but one of the special effects supervisor was Douglas Trumbull. So there's like, you know, should he have gotten the Oscar rather than Kubrick or should they both have gotten it? But anyway, uh, one of the, spe- the special effects supervisor, I believe that was his title one way or another was Douglas Trumbull. He's done like some of the biggest special effects movies ever. I think he did. Uh, it's irrelevant, but he's been, he's done a lot of movies and one of them is tree of life. He did like the, that's why, you know, some of those shots of like the galaxy and the universe expanding and those kind of shots of space. I think that was all him. And I mean, right you can see the similarities right in this. So it, it, it ties together, Ty. It Maybe does. That's why, uh, I know, but you know, I think it just in the formless kind of formless structure and, yeah, and, and, how, like, span, and how open-ended... Span it, the eternity of time. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, there's definitely some similarities there. And I definitely think how open-ended, like, these these themes and, like, these these uh, scenes are. You know what I mean? Like, they can mean so much to so many people. Which I think is the greatness about storytelling, because it tells everybody their own kind of story of whatever they want to kind of see through these scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah, not to get too sure. deep, I mean, but I, like, uh, I just think that you know, I think that's what makes it so good. But it's freaking yeah, it's uh, it's it's wild, dude. That's that's what that's one of the things that makes this. I mean, such an enduring movie is it's it's. it's I mean, there are there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, people will say this is this, but like a lot of it is just you know up for interpretation like yeah people can have you know so much of it is you know uh interpretation and stuff like that and people can make of it what they want and you know maybe that's not even what kubrick wanted because yeah. uh, i mean he obviously made this intentionally ambiguous in a lot of ways you know so you can pull what you want to pull out of it uh he doesn't confine you by like telling you what's going on or telling you you know what he's trying to do yeah uh he's 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 intentionally ambiguous and so even if like your if your interpretation is what is not what he even intended or even had any kind of thought towards i mean that doesn't definitely does not make it wrong and that's what's beautiful about this movie yeah it's awesome i mean and for it to be what 54 years since this movie was made, the practical effects hold up. Like you're, you, you know, you see some scenes and you're like, oh, yeah. I know, I definitely know they shot that in a studio, you know. But you're like, dang, yeah. though, they did it so well. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like it, it, it doesn't take much. Ima- like people with not that much imagination can transition from those scenes to like where they want to be at. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not dude, corny. This... It's like really good. <laughs> no, it it looks it look, dude. This could have been made <laughs> it's so good. It could have been made very recently and been like look fine. Like this, yeah. this looks so good. Like all the shots of the space. I mean, there's some of like the pretty much the only thing I can think of that looks even somewhat dated is the, like the shots of outside the spaceship when they're projecting them inside the spaceship. Like you can like I'm like it's a pink. It's when they're in that. I can't remember if that is that the moon bus they're driving. Uh, uh and it's yeah. like it's like a pink you can see the pink lights and you can see them kind of like standing there steering mm-hmm. uh that looks that looks not great you can tell it's like project projection on but i mean still if that's if that's the biggest flaw like it's pretty good yeah 
Um, There's not many like that. Yeah. Um. I I want to start with a quote from Kubrick. I as I got this from well and just a lot of snippets and stuff. But overall, I was just like I just I was just reading up on it. But I have the I have a book I I posted on the an Instagram story of it. But it's called the Stanley Kubrick Archives. And uh, oh man, I love the book. I love this book so much. It's it's just like it's got all kinds of like pictures, like behind the scenes and props and all kinds of stuff. And then it has like you know, snippets of interviews with Kubrick and all kinds of, it's, it's super informative. If you're a Kubrick fan, if you're a fan of film, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a super interesting read and you can sit down and let's just read a, a few pages for a section, read a whole section of a movie for 75 or a hundred pages or whatever. Uh, it's so good. But anyway, yeah, that looked um, really awesome. I saw that whenever I was at your house the one time too. But that's yeah, the second yeah, time we've yeah. referenced the the old Instagram. So we'll just toss out the name if you're like, <laughs> wondering. Just at Rule a Podcast. Follow us on there for all these behind the scenes, these these little gems, <laughs> you know, because that is a dope book. Gems. Yeah, uh, you got you got pictures of my book and then pictures of me with a cutout. Yeah, of case. what more what do more you want, for? honestly? And this is all free, <laughs> believe it or not. I know, I know, you're probably not going to believe it, but I'm telling you, it's all free. Um, so this, uh, there's a quote that he has and he says, the feel of the experience is the important thing, not the ability to verbalize or analyze it. So of course we're going to uh, disregard that and talk about it anyway and try to analyze stuff. But <laughs> the important thing is like this, this is a movie that's all about the experience, which is, I think a big reason why you need to see it in theaters. You know, everybody, you know, like if you're going to watch this at some point, you have to see this in theaters. Because, I mean, that is, that's the experience, you know, and it's just like when you're going through that Stargate sequence or even like when you're on the ship doing, you know, when they're doing whatever. I mean, it's, it's, this is an event. This isn't just like a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're like, like, this is rather an experience, than tr- you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and he also, he also talks about, and I think that goes hand in hand with why. He talks about um, why so much of this movie is dialogue free or, you know, not there's no words spoken. And what there's 46 minutes of dialogue and 113 minutes with no dialogue and the first 25 minutes. I think it's about 25 minutes is dialogue free in the last psh, forever. Like it's got to be at least a half hour. I haven't I didn't do the math, but half hour at least is dialogue free and you're just it's just total experience and anyway he saw he talks about but you also can't look away it's not like dialogue free where you can look away or do something else right no like the story is so is still like hyperactive it's a fast-paced story exactly and he says uh some of the effective words are words are a terrible straitjacket and it's interesting how many prisoners of it resent it of the straitjacket resent it being loosened and he's talking about like people that kind of uh, were were not mad at the film, but like disregarded the film because it didn't have dialogue, and it was like because uh, you had to think a, a little bit. Typical, yeah, you had to, you had yeah, to put a little work a, in. It was a non-typical story structure, and he's like, you can't pretty much the effect like you can't. What I wanted to put through, it can't be confined to words. 
yeah. you can't confine what I'm trying to give you this experience through words and even through like visual. I mean, he's he still can't do all he can all he wants to do because he wants to he wants to portray the transcendent. And that's why I mean, like when when Bowman's looking through those colors, I mean, he can't. That's all his human mind can like take in. That's all his human mind can understand is these, you know, these pretty colors going in like, uh, you know, going over different trains and over space and time and stuff. He can't totally comprehend what's happening. So his like human mind has to dumb it down. Yeah. And I think that's what like Kubrick's trying to do for us. He's like, he's like, I'm giving you as much as I can. I don't want to dumb this down any more than I have to. I'm not going to include words because that's just not necessary. And I think there's another quote somewhere. And he talks about like, it's like if you tried to like, you can't explain the experience. Like it'd be like trying to explain Beethoven. It, it's, it's doing a disservice. You have to just experience it. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally, I totally agree. And I think like, I don't, I don't really, can you think of another movie aside from tree of life? that kind of fo- like that follows that kind of same idea. So, you know, I would say, so there's a couple different movies, very different that I thought about besides street of life. Cause I mean, that movie's always on my mind and it, it, it there's like we said, there unfortunately it's always on mine too. <laughs> uh, well, I've done something with my life. Die. I've got that into your head and now it's stuck there. You've converted um, me to a believer of the tree of life. Uh, <clears throat> no, but one of the one of the movies I thought about was, and I know you haven't seen it. I'd love to do it for the podcast at some point, but is uh, Stalker. And I mean, a lot of Tarkovsky kind of deals with the same way. But I mean, Stalker, very explicit. I mean, there is talk about very little dialogue. I mean, there is very little dialogue in Stalker. And it's also got these, it's, uh, Tarkovsky's big on, very big, and especially in Stalker, big on, like, this kind of mysti- mystical aspect of, of, you know, the universe, I guess, if you want to put it that way. I mean, he deals with it in, in Stalker, in Solaris, uh, but anyway, like in Stalker, it's just like, it, like in 2001, it's kind of dealing with these, these powers and forces that you can't understand that us as humans don't comprehend and it does it in a uh, Tarkovsky's much more uh human I guess in his in like in stalker it's it's more of a a human story dealing with this mysticism 2001's a colder story you know it's uh not as emotional I would say mm-hmm. but you're still dealing with this humanity humanity wrestling with something they just don't they can't comprehend they don't understand and they're trying to they're trying to figure it out and yeah that's the one that popped into my mind and then in a different way another movie that popped into my mind was videodrome a movie that we've covered on the podcast i could see that Uh, in terms of in terms of uh transcending to the next level of human evolution um whereas videodrome it's like you're transcending through technology whereas uh, this year, you're, they've they've evolved in how they've used technology, but the end transformation is actually he's totally organic again. And the next phase is, you know, he's devoid of technology. He's just a little baby. 
Yeah. You know, just a star baby. But anyway, that that, that popped into my mind. Yeah. Popped into my mind in terms of like evolving to the next stage of humanity. Um, but those were the, those were, the, that's what popped in there. Did you have anything besides Tree of Life? Honestly, I didn't put too much thought into it. Um, Tree of Life, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like Tree of Life obviously just stands out because it kind of has like the same like kind of, you know, very little dialogue, no structured storyline. And then talking about like uh, the event of like how we see ourselves or how we become one again or whatever. But um, no, aside yeah. from that, I mean, I can definitely see the comparison with Videodrome though in a, in a very different way, you know, than like what yeah. this is. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, very different ones. One feels one feels more optimistic and one feels more pessimistic. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. You could read the end of Videodrome as optimistically. He's he's killing himself to uh, uh, him, baby. Yeah, you gotta you gotta crank your neck a little <laughs> to look at it that way. But it's 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 maybe it's Cronenberg optimistic. <laughs> but anyway, uh, dude. So like boy, another thing. You, I mean, yeah. I don't even know where you want to start because like another <laughs> thing with this too is just like the cinematography and color choices and like how this movie was shot in every single scene in every every single movement of the can't dude this entire movie and how it was shot is amazing yeah let's let's talk about i mean the big one is that is the set the spaceship set the spinning wheel set yeah um so cool. he got yeah he, he got legit engineers to come in to build it he's he's like build this the way you would build it like to actually be used you know yeah like he wanted he wanted this to look like it was legit and anyway he got he has this big massive spinning set and it's on first of all the budget of the movie was like six million dollars uh of course he went over that yeah and by like four and a half million he spent a little over 10 million on it so he said uh nuts to that uh in terms of the budget but um anyway there is for the spinning this is probably i mean there's so much cool stuff about this but this is one of the coolest things he which, when you think about it, makes sense. But anyway, sorry, I keep I keep derailing myself. But like for the there's a like when you see the people like walking around. So when yeah. they're when they're stuck in one place, and kind of the they're like like when like when uh, oh, what's his name uh, Frank uh, is running, like the the camera will be stuck in is 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 uh the, the set's always the set's always rotating okay so like the obviously they're never actually upside down but like if the they they the the whole set was on a gimbal so if if they wanted it to, to make or if they wanted it to appear as the actor was climbing all the way around like for instance when the waitress walks all the way around mm-hmm. or I can't remember if it's the stewardess or what. Yeah. She had like, something. but anyway, the woman walks all the way around and then she walks out the door at the top. Uh, that, that the camera was attached to the set. Right. So she was just walking in place. Right. And the, the camera was moving with the set. And then for the other way, when it was just like when the, when they didn't want, when they wanted to stick with the person, they just, had the camera not attached and it just remained at the bottom and the person just kind of walked on it like a little hamster wheel and it 
but it's still somehow it still looks like the whole set's real. It's like yeah, it's like I when mean, he's do- it's, when it's he's amazing. running, dude. When when you when you like when you I mean maybe I didn't make it that clear probably, but like when you read it, you're like that makes sense. You're like I get it. One's attached, one's not, and one's rotating with the set, and one's not. You know, mm-hmm. but like when you're watching it, you're like, this is so cool. Yeah, you know, they're you're like, I know how they did this, but like it still looks amazing. Yeah. Um, no, it's insane. Anyway. And like seeing photos almost, it looks like, like a roller coaster that they're putting together. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, that set was intense, man. Yeah. And they had, there were so many lights they had on this, in the interior that like the wheel set that, uh, and of course they're always like saturated in lights, but they're, they had so many lights that they had to like have air conditioners running like 24 seven to keep the set cooled down. Oh my gosh. Um, but, oh, I brought the budget up to say just the set, just for when the, like the engineers that came in and built the set, that set cost $750,000. Holy cow, dude. Like, I mean, that's like, if just in terms of the budget he got at the beginning, that's a six, that's almost a sixth of his whole budget. Yeah. Originally. Ah, uh, crazy. Um, I mean, but good move, yeah. though. Yeah, dude, it looks it looks great. Because could you imagine um, if they didn't do like those little things like that? Like if they didn't have that, uh, yeah, flight attendant or stewardess or uh, whatever she was. If they didn't have that scene of her just like walking that maze along the walls. I, yeah. I mean, like that. I don't know. That's just like you're like, yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and same with like when you you see Frank running around. Yeah. he's like running around the circle, and then. There's a scene when he's eating and Dave comes on. It's like the first scene we see of them and he's eating. And then Dave is on like the opposite. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're watching he's on like the, the opposite news or whatever. side, I guess. Yeah. And apparently they, they had him like strapped up there. They strapped the food down. They strapped him down. So who's and Dave was like walking down like normal. Uh, because they, of course, they couldn't do any camera tricks with that. He had to be up there. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy, dude. Uh, because you could, you could easily do like a there. There'd be a way to do like a shot reverse shot and show like that they're on opposite sides of the, you know, the wheel, whatever you want. to Yeah, say. but that was just another uh, little thing, you know. But little detail. He like put in the effort like, yeah. into like exactly. Um, but. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy, dude. Crazy. So, do you know? And I don't know the answer to this. So, this is a genuine question. Do you know? Was there like any animation at all with like the spaceships or anything like that? I mean, those were all uh, uh, models. All yeah. the spaceships were models. Okay, but but they I were like re- there was no the, animation though. Like fifty four years ago, is the, that a dumb question? No, the <laughs> the only I mean <laughs> there was anime because they thought about. The the big one was they thought about do it for the uh, uh, for the Donna Man sequence. He was trying to figure out how to the, what the best way to do that was for like the backdrop because he like couldn't film on location for the whole you know oh, right. that wide of an expanse. So they did they like filmed the space in or did photography or filmed or whatever uh, an area in West Africa and. That's where the backdrop comes from. And instead of, cause he's like, well, we could do it like a, like a matte painting, you know, but he's like that. Of course, a lot of the time you can tell those are matte paintings when, you know, when you got a matte painting, it's a background. Right. Uh, or you could, they thought about like doing a blue screen of it, 
He's like, ah, that won't you'll be able to tell. Yeah. You know, because it was so big of an area. Uh, it was, you know, it wasn't like a tiny little set where they could do a... <coughs> where they could do like a map painting or a blue screen on the, like a small area. It was a, a massive set. So they did a they did a front projection. I know we've probably talked about rear projection in the past, which is something they used to do all the time. But this was front projection. It goes into deflecting deflecting the picture off of a mirror and then having the camera and the something with the light it has to be in the exact center of something blah 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 goes into angles and such uh, we don't, i don't even know for, what we're talking about but that's just what they call it all right so we're just gonna assume that we all know exactly what that meant in, it's 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 called it spells it out in my in my kubrick book but uh i, no, I kind of get what you're the, saying though like the way that they projected of, the the backdrop of like space and all that as he was flying through. But to get the color, I think to get the color and the uh, like projection area right, it had to be, it had to be exact. Like they couldn't just slap her up there and you know have uh, the, right. the eight eight men just doing. They had to, it had to be like mechanically exact. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but it, it like even that like it looks it looks great. I mean, you can tell it's probably not legit real like they're not on the actual expanse of yeah africa yeah but i mean it still looks really good it anyway does that's good, the dude. i mean that's the close like in terms of like camera trick there which i i guess there's the if you want to call that at the end the animation with the stargate sequence that's animation yeah that's true um but anyway most iconic scene what do you think uh Boy, that's I'm well. I it's got to be the uh, I was gonna say different, but it's got to be the match cut like, from the bone to the, the bone. Yeah, the bone of the spaceship. Bone to the and the when the they are just shoot when they just shoot the ape from underneath, and he's just going down with the bone, and then yeah, there's just classical music playing, dude. That's art, baby. That's that's probably that's the most iconic cut. Yeah. Probably in cinema of all time. I think it has one of the to be most, for sure. One of the most iconic shots, but got to be the most. It's the most iconic cut. Yeah. Ever. So it's got to be. I mean that that's got to be it. I mean, but there's so much. I mean that Stargate sequence. How himself. Like, yeah. Yeah. Close up of how. I mean, so much about this is pretty freaking memorable. Uh. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason this lasted forever. Honestly. Uh, it's so good. Which I I, I also this, it talks about this in the book too. But um, <laughs> it also said Kubrick when he decided on doing this, he's he watched every available sci-fi film that existed. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> the original Mad Lab. Um, Dang, dude. But anyway, like it was he was where he he talked about changing the perception of sci-fi and. Because, like, up to that point, like, sci-fi was, like, in the realm of, like, Saturday morning sh- movies for kids. Yeah. You know, like, kind of a little bit silly and kitschy and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, Flash Gordon and stuff. Uh, stuff that was just kind of, like, adventure and kind of absurd. Yeah. Childlike we're gonna go, stuff. We're going to go fight and, the space monsters. Exactly. And, like, of course, not great special effects and, uh, 
kind of low cheesy. budget stuff. Yeah, low budget. Yeah, that's cheesy. a good way to put it. And and while this is rated G for all audiences, which is wild, uh, which is wild. But yeah, when you think about it, I mean, I guess they do beat that one ape dead, and Hal does kill four people. But besides that, um, uh, there's no blood or like gore or anything. Uh, no language or anything like that. Um, but anyway, it's definitely not, <laughs> definitely not in the same realm of like the kids. Dude, uh, if you if sci-fi. you were like if you were like five to seven years old and you just watched this at night by yourself, I feel like that would freak you out pretty pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. The whole computer thing. Um, dude, some of this. Like, some of this is legitimately creepy. Yeah. Like, I think that scene, along with being sad, the scene where Hal is, like, Dave's killing Hal pretty much. That's a pretty sad scene, man. Dude, yeah. Uh, Even though Hal just killed four people, like, when he's, he's like, slow, you see his mind decaying. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, you don't know if they're, like, he might be sentient. Maybe not. Maybe. But, (laughs) like, you just see his mind slowly decaying, and he, like... He's like legitimately afraid. Yeah. He knows he's dying. Yeah. Man, that's that's a little creepy. And then of course the the room sequence at the end. That's pretty creepy. Yeah, that is pretty uh, creepy. Eerie. I guess eerie, maybe. Dystopian. That and that's like another thing. Like, I feel like do you remember what was that Disney movie called? Like Smart House? It, <laughs> yeah. Was it just called Smart House? Disney Channel Original. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, I think Dude, so. Dude, that was kind of dystopian yeah. too. Had the same kind of had like how vibes. That's probably where they got the idea from. Yeah. And it was like, but that was like a Disney movie, you know, but I remember watching that as a kid and being like, that's kind of creepy. You know what I mean? Like, then you just start thinking about all inanimate objects. I'm like, what are they thinking? You know? <laughs> so I don't know, man. I, the G rating was kind of, kind of shocker. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it is, it is a little bit, but I, yeah, I think the, the ratings people looked at this and were like, uh, we don't know what to do with this. Yeah, they're like, it's not bad, you know? It's kind of like when, when Temple of Doom got made and the ratings people were like, uh, well, this isn't PG, but it's not R. And they just looked at this and said, uh, uh, I don't know what this is. <laughs> is this a movie? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's just like, imp- it's super impressive that he pretty much cha- wholly changed. And there was still like silly sci-fi, but... Uh, I mean, he wholly changed the perception of sci-fi and enabled stuff like Blade Runner and Alien and just all kinds of stuff to be made because he he made sci-fi like a serious endeavor, which is impressive. Yeah, so to get back to that, dude, it's kind of crazy. So I don't really like sci-fi, but my two favorite sci-fis were written in the 60s. Which is Dune in uh, 2001. And they're so different. Mm. You know what I mean? They're so different from like your regular. Bo- I feel like both are very different from your regular like sci-fis. Yeah. well, they're Not bo- so much I mean, with Dune, but D- you know what I mean. Yeah, but like Dune, I mean, until last year. Dune was supposedly like unfilmable. Like because it was just so like. Well, no, I'm know, just saying it was so written though. Diff- it was written in 64. Like I know, book. but I'm just saying like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just saying. It's interesting that two of your favorites, if 2001 didn't exist as a film, you'd be like, wow, that seems like 
like that'd be pretty hard to film. Yeah. And that was always said about Dune. Yeah. It was the same thing. Like, oh, that's that's supposed to be unfilmable. Yeah. Um, and of course, David Lynch had his issues doing that. But no, it's just in- and there's I think there's something to be said for like maybe the more difficult it is to like get it across. Like when you do it right, I mean it it hits. Yeah. It hits well for sure. Know? Um, so hard to do, I think. And that's why I think it's just weird to me. Like it was like that even to this day though, those two ideas like Dune and 2001 are still so different than regular like sci-fi. You know what I mean? Not that there's anything wrong with regular sci-fi. I'm just not a huge fan of it. Yeah. You know, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of written books being written, should say this. Kubrick had the idea or the, 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 the kernel of a thought or what's, what's, what's the phrase I want? Ah, whatever. Here had the idea from this film after reading, uh, the, I guess, short, uh, short piece written by Arthur C. Clarke called the Sentinel. And it was about discovering, uh, something on the moon left by extraterrestrials and, uh, you know, it sent a message or whatever, but, Anyway, he, so he got a hold of Clark and he was like, hey, do you want to help me write a movie? And then, like, we can write a book together. And so they came out with this deal and it would, the, the, the film would be written by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clark. And then the book would be written by Arthur C. Clark and Stanley Kubrick. And it, it ended up being the, the film still credited that way, but the book ended up being only credited to Arthur C. Clark because I believe. Kubrick didn't like the final product of the book, so he's just like, whatever, take my name off of it. Because <laughs> uh, he felt like that's it. like I a pretty he... baller move, you know. <laughs> Kubrick, man, what, what, a, what a baller. <laughs> um, but he he felt like it explained too much. But anyway, it was it was pretty. But they, but I don't know if I'm I'm curious if it's ever happened like that before, where uh, especially a collaboration like that, where he, like you get a filmmaker and a sci-fi to get a sci-fi novel writer or any novel writer together. And then they do the screenplay and a novel at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, that's a lot going on. But, but anyway, that's, that's the way it came about. So you, I, th- I, I just think, think it'd be harder writing about this, which is kind of the interesting thing. Like I felt the same way about Dune <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Do you know what I mean? And that's probably why like he's felt that he needed to explain more. Arthur C. Clarke did in the novel. Yeah. He's like, I can't express visually like you can in a film. And Kubrick said, well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> um, I guess. I don't know. I should read it to see how much it, it's explaining, you know? Yeah. But like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like, don't you think that Dune, I feel like Dune is the same way in that regard. Like, I feel like it would be harder to write it and make people understand something only through writing. Well, I don't know. I, I've never read Dune. You have. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think like. But I guess with Dune, it's like they gave the, everything in the book is just like, if you did this, you would, you would nail it. You know what I mean? But it's doing that right. Like all the ideas and stuff are there, but it's just doing that, executing that right to make it not corny because in the book, it's not corny. Yeah, and I just I think the book something like that the book you have more uh, latitude in explaining things. Yeah, and being like this and like kind of a world building, whereas in the movie you have to be, which that's of course why it's in two parts. 
uh, and you know the second is yet to come. But uh, you have to be efficient in how you build your world. You can't explain everything and exposition everything, or else you're just going to be left with a boring mess. Yeah, and that is, I think, where the balance comes from. I get what you're saying, but I think that is the benefit of the book. It can explain stuff without being explaining because that's the nature of a book. Whereas film. It has to kind of flow better, and you have so to. So you think you think making medium. the film is harder than? I I think because you have to. I mean, I, it's it's hard to compare the two. Yeah. you know what I mean. No, I agree. But yeah, I think, it's I think in terms of like explain like something like this where you're building a world or more Dune because like what the hell is two thousand one? But uh, <laughs> when you're building the world, it's like it's easier because you have the use of words and you have the like people are reading a book to have something explained to them or told through to them through words. Right. Whereas through a visual medium, you have to do things through action and through visual storytelling. And, you know, you have to try to tone down the exposition right. to make it more watchable. All right. I see but what you're saying. Anyway. I see what you're saying. I mean, I disagree. I think that I think writing the book is like the hardest part, man. <laughs> I mean, because like in Dune, yeah, he had to come up with all these ideas and concepts to make things work, and then it, he explains it all so well. So you're just like, all right, if you kind of do that and do it not corny, yeah. But you think like, it's gonna I mean, hit. if you're already working from something, you have that benefit. But I'm like, if you're if you're making both from scratch, like if you make a sci-fi film and you're the screenwriter and there's no basis, like they did with this. I mean, he had the thought, the the nugget in there that oh, like an alien left something on the moon. But besides that, I think that's all they were starting with. So, I mean, you're pretty much starting from scratch. Like if you're starting from scratch on the film and a book, you know, I don't know if one's more difficult than the other. Could you imagine you know being I mean. a writer and walking in? Like, can't wait to start working on this project. And you sit down at a conference table and they're like, all right, so the prompt that we're going to do this entire movie on is we're just going to start out by thinking about like, maybe what would happen if an alien left something on the moon, huh? Well, that is why uh, Stanley Kubrick wrote all his own movies by himself. Yeah. They'd be like, <laughs> or what? He always worked with like one other person. He didn't have a team of writers. Yeah. So like, everyone would be would like, work "There's with no usually... way. There's no way we're we're doing that." <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's like, "That's more than enough." Honestly, you could have stopped with "What if an alien?" And I I would have gotten to the same conclusion. You wasted words. <laughs> um boy we haven't even covered dude we haven't even gotten into the themes we're 50 minutes we in. haven't even gotten to the themes um, of the movie yet and we're an hour in getting derailed on tree of life oh and my dude gosh it's um, all important though it is did uh, you think that this so is going to be short when we said no, hey let's do we're, 2001 we're, were we like okay we can definitely this will be a, it's gonna this, be a tad yeah, longer than normal just a bit um so I did want what are the, oh uh he he also I don't think he did he sent one of his assistants to but he interviewed I think 21 is what it said in the book 21 like scientists philosophers theologians different like you know big thinkers from the 20th century people like uh Harlow Shapley who was a, an astronomer I believe BF Skinner the psychologist or like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, conditioning. He researched yeah, conditioning. He a, uh, you know, the Skinner box. 
Yeah, uh, so he's uh, the Skinner box guy. Yeah. Um, Freeman Dyson, the originator of the Dyson Sphere concept. <laughs> the Dyson uh, vacuum. Frank Drake. Sorry. <laughs> Frank Drake, who's a pioneer of SETI, and a bunch of other people. But, like, he, he interviewed all these people to, like, ask about, like, space and how, you know, the human, uh, human psyche, how it would deal with space and, like, how, how technology would work, how we would, how space travel would work, how extraterrestrial, like, what, what the likelihood of, like, what extraterrestrials would be like, how they would reach us and all kinds of stuff. And it's, like, super interesting that he reached out to all these, like, big thinkers to like give him input on like how he how yeah. he wrote this movie yeah he really wanted to like understand and he was like i mean that's I, like i said earlier that's why you watch like every sci-fi movie ever yeah supposedly um he's so anal he about was, it but that's what I, makes it so different it's almost like he's the epitome of learning all the rules to know how you can break them you know exactly. to know where you can crack in I mean, to know where you can open up that little weird patch of your mind that you're like, I haven't thought about that ever, but thanks. You know, maybe it's, maybe it is going to be like that. And he, he very famously was like read all the time. He would like just be reading constantly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's where, I mean, that's why he got all the movies he did were based on novels or novellas or books or whatever. Um, was he, he would just read and read and then he finds them and be like, Oh, I, I think I'm going to make a movie out of this. And then he would, and it would be a killer. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, he just had, he was just always looking for more knowledge on how to make his stuff better. Yeah. Uh, just super impressive. So in terms of like themes, what do you want, what do you want to talk about? Cause we can go in a bunch of different directions. Yeah, we can. Um, do you want to talk about like any kind of metaphors that you see allegories? What do you got? I think, you know, I think it just, I don't know. <laughs> There's like almost so you, much. What? Like, what do you want to talk? Like, I guess like the one overarching thing that I thought of, you know, is like morality and like time, you know, I think it touches on that. Well, those a bit. are two different. Those are two different themes, man. Well, yeah. All right. Yeah. Those are the two, two themes that I guess. What do you mean? Of. Okay. But just like, well, um, like morality well, and like your time, like, so that's why I guess like I was tying him together. You know what I mean? Like time you mean, that you were mortality. alive. You mortality. mean mortality. Yeah. What I said. Okay. You said morality. I was Did like, I really? Yeah. Mortality. <laughs> that's what threw me off. I was like, those are two different things. Oh. But Should I re-say no, that? No, mortality. Should, I don't want to be like. No, 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 no. You you corrected it. So uh, did I? Um, yeah, we're good. Mortality. We're good. Let's talk about humanity. Humans mortality. Uh, and the evolution I think mortality in general. I think mortality in general, not just human mortality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with All that. Right, yeah. what, what are let's, your thoughts? All right. So, I mean, because we got evolution and we got, yeah. so let me, let me frame this first and then I'll let you jump. All in. right. So this, uh, so of course we have, we see multiple, we see the evolution from the apes experiencing reason. Right. And then, you know, figuring out how to work tools and then boom, match cut. We see how far humanity has progressed since they were an ape bashing stuff with a with a bone to just, be able to make. Uh, like the, he, <laughs> he got the bone. He was like, I hope they come around. <laughs> he, was, he was like passing bones out to everybody else. He's like, and when they do, you know what to do with this, ready. right? 
We all saw me demonstrate that on the skull yesterday, right? Everybody saw that? We we all touched the model. Yeah, we, yeah, we all touched. Uh, we were there. Everyone was there, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, like humanity has progressed to this point. And, and then, of course, we see uh, them progress even further, go on to the next phase of human evolution at the end when he, you know, turns into the space baby. But we also have... We also just like we mentioned with the with the uh, man ape dying, we have the death of Hal. Yeah. We have the death of all the astronauts besides Dave. We have the death of Dave too. I guess mm-hmm. it's not a murder, but it's death. Um, pretty much m- most of the people we see die, uh, or people slash sentient beings maybe. Eh. Uh. Uh, eh. Um. But then we also there's also reference to, uh birth we have the dawn of man birth of man we have uh haywood floyd so talking about his daughter's birthday we have frank pool talking about or getting a message about his birthday we have dave being reborn as the space baby we have hal talking about his birth in the computer lab or whatever uh so we have all this birth and death and evolution and it's all framing this story. So take it, Ty. Where do you want to go with this? Oof. It's almost too much. Too much. I think like the one thing that it like it's weird, you know, it's like one of those movies that like as far as human mortality and everything like that goes, like just kind of put it in perspective of how slim how how like slim of a lifespan or like time our lives have on this planet in comparison to how long this planet has been doing what it does that's mm-hmm. just crazy to me you know what i mean like and, yeah and then in turn how small that like from yeah. us to the apes how small that is in the expanse of the universe yes yeah, exactly dude yeah and how far that is just so galaxy like, we? wise we're dude. nothing you know what i mean we're nothing yeah we're just so <laughs> small it's just crazy yep. it's insane and i think like this like i think this really does that, like, in this sliver, like, the little bit of time that we spend here, you know, is just so slim, too. I don't know. I hope that doesn't sound dark. I'm not trying to sound dark, but it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it makes you realize that, like, no, in comparison of this entire world, like, your time is so small and limited, you know what I mean? But, like, mm-hmm. overall, because of these small, inter- like, these small cycles that, honest, in the grand scheme of it all, don't matter to the planet, you know, these are kind of, like, where... This is the circle of life. Yeah. No, totally. I don't I don't think that's uh I don't think that's pessimistic or dark. I think that's just being a being a realist. Yeah. And I think that helps you experience your life more when you I mean if you don't get all like nihilistic about it. Uh if you're like hey, this is I like my life is in insignificantly minuscule like what's the word i'm looking for infinitesimally small that's it in comparison to life on earth or the evolution of the human race and where it's been and where it's going uh my whatever 70 80 hopefully you know hopefully that long of a time on this earth is just infinitesimally small and then that span of all of humanity where we've been where we're going in the expanse of the universe and its time scale 
is also infinitesimally small. Yeah. And it's just like, but hey, I'm here like right now and I'm going to experience life and it's, you know It's also kind of like it, you can make it, a difference what too, is out you know? there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would yeah, I would say that. Yeah. You know, and I think I think it all falls under that theme too of like the momentum mori that I'm talking about and that you're talking about too. Just like that like mm-hmm. stoic philosophy about just being so conscious that you will die. Which you know, yeah. like that's I guess that could sound dark is what I was getting at, you know, but it's not when you think about why. Like the reason behind that, you know what I mean? Yeah, because you you all human like humans are always dying. But the hum- humans are always being reborn. But are we really the living, man? Race... But are we really living? <laughs> <laughs> but the human race is cycling. We, that's why we see birth yeah. and death in this movie all over the place. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a constant cycle until we reach the next phase. Yeah. And then, boom, another cycle starts. And it's all a cycle encapsulated in itself. And that probably didn't make any sense. But I know what you're talking about. It's, uh, I'm getting – I'm smelling what yeah. you're stepping in. <laughs> you're picking up what I'm putting yeah. down. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, super interesting. Um, boy, uh, did I even touch on, yeah. So that's, that's at least something there. What do you make of, uh, well, okay. I, I had, I had this thought or this reading. I couldn't help but see. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. The, the, probably the rest of this podcast is just going to be just talking about stuff and seeing what we think or where we fall or whatever. It's kind of what this but, whole podcast which is about. Which the whole podcast is. But so when... <laughs> you just, you're, like, we're like, me, you're just like, hey, so, now that we're three quarters of the way through, I'd just like to stop that, and remind everybody where we're at and what we do here. So we're just going to So yeah, yeah exactly. I just want to let you know that uh, if you didn't catch on yet, I'm just going to come out and say it right now. We're just about to say our thoughts on this movie. And kind of just go from there. I just meant <laughs> may not be super structured. It's just going to be, which the whole thing has, nevertheless. Um, tell me if you could see it. I couldn't help but think when we see this, we see the <clears throat> their spaceship come on the screen and we get the big, the big cabin section at first mm-hmm. pop on. And then we see like length after length of, I don't know, whatever you want to call those. They look like little train cars. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Um, and it's all going across the screen, mm-hmm. the the screen. It it I, in my mind that looks like a sperm, and that and then in the end, you see. So if that's the sperm, Jupiter is the egg, and then when Dave goes through that Stargate sequence, that's conception, and then you know he has to live out the rest of his life in the little in the little room. Maybe you can see that's the womb, and then. And then he's a space baby. Boom. Uh, That's pretty wild. Is that crazy? Yeah, that is pretty crazy. I definitely see that, though. <laughs> That's weirdly okay. crazy. Yeah. I yeah. I can dig that. That makes a lot of okay. sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I like did that. Did you read about this, or um, did you, is this 100% you? That I, I probably had heard it at some point, but when I was watching it, I thought organically yeah. I thought about it. Yeah, because like thinking back um, on like the structure of the spaceship and stuff, like there has to be there's obviously a reason of why, you know. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think that's that's a reading that exists out there, like I said, and I, I might have soaked into my memory at some point. Yeah. But no, when I watched it I thought, no, this is that that's a sperm right there. 
<laughs> you were just uh, like, sure. there it 100%. is. 100%. There it is. 100%. 100%. You're like, everybody, right hey, um, everybody, <laughs> I just want to show you what hey, I see. Check that out. Um, I mean, do we want to talk about the music? Oh, dude, the music was so good. Uh, so what the, the part what dogs hate the most, or at least my dogs, they did not like it when Hal killed off uh, or right before they kill, he killed off or he or she or all it, that beeping. Kill, yeah, all the beeps. But like whenever they went, whenever they died, obviously it went silent. Yeah. So, I mean, we can definitely talk about sound score and the, and the use of sound score. Yeah. The absence so, of, well, the, and how powerful. the first one, <laughs> that's, that's all. I'm not cutting the, you off. The first one I want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll let you go after um is the it's called the also sprock zarathustra is the one the one song or uh piece that's played at the it's the uh you know oh yeah yeah yeah. uh that one is that so all right i had a question about this maybe a dumb question is this the first like is this where that iconic music kind of comes from is it this movie i well, this is what made it yeah this is what made it fame i mean it's it was written by strauss uh right i know it's not like new but but it's but yeah no this is i mean that's where all this all the music in this was made famous by this movie okay that's what i thought i mean in a in a popular sense, yeah. you know, like classical people knew. And it's kind of funny because, like, Star Wars 2 kind of ripped on that a little, you know. George Lucas kind of took that. He's like, I kind of like that little bit of, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. How many, uh, I just, in ter- even even the straight up, the same exact uh, songs or pieces or whatever. Yeah. I mean, how many times have they been used or parodied or ripped off or homage oh, in yeah. different movies or TV shows or bits or whatever. Endlessly. Yeah. I knew it was in this movie, but I was like, whenever I was watching it back, I was like, wait, is this what made it famous? Right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, but anyway, the, the also Sprock <clears throat> Zarathustra. So that was, it's, it's, uh, it shares the same name with a, uh, Nietzsche work well with the same name but anyway it's uh it Nietzsche talks about it's it's a work where Nietzsche Nietzsche's uh talking or speaking through his uh his his main character to talk about the you know his his concept of the ubermensch or the superman character Mm -hmm. and I've seen it I can't remember where I saw this or heard this but like that was compared to uh this in terms of the the jump between so like the jump between ape and man and then the the is the same as the jump between man and superman that's how big of a difference big of a gap there is or man and ubermensch if you want to use that term for yeah. it um so like it's using these these uh this ideas from nietzsche to kind of the super the superman in this would be the space baby that's the next phase of human evolution yeah that's that's the same as the that's the new awakening that's the new that's the new exactly he's the one that's not that's not uh if we want to bring religion to things like this the ubermensch or the superman or whatever he's not bound by 
the the morality and the laws of uh humanity or society he kind of creates his own um meaning i guess yeah and he's kind of above everybody else yeah why he's called the ubermensch um and that's where like you know that's of course nietzsche talks about that and the death of god and stuff like that so this would deal with that and like so that's i find that interesting that the ideas are there in the movie to kind of pull that together and also like this song with the same name is there like i feel like kubrick had to do that on purpose Mm -hmm. and he like he thought that song worked really well yeah I, i don't know maybe that's wrong but i feel like i feel like that makes sense yeah no, I mean, I think every, I can't think of like a time where the music or the sound was like not used well, to be honest. Yeah. Like it was just a masterpiece as far as audio goes. I mean, that the Blue Danube, the, the waltz that plays when the ships are, you know, when we're watching the ships in space spinning and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. And then you get the, this is beautiful, like man. the Ligeti stuff. <laughs> The the Ligeti stuff that's like that's when that's like that droning the yeah which you is kind of uh, scary like straight up it's 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 unsettling yeah it's unsettling like if you knew that that was in space if you were just like like did you hear this is kind of off topic kind of on topic did you hear or see that they got like audio from a black hole I saw they got a new picture of one they got audio from what like a black audio. hole would sound like and it's unsettling What's it sound dude. Like? Not far, bet, not far, yeah, not far off from Kubrick's idea. Is it? It's, it's just. But, like, I mean, yeah, they had to like amplify the sound. I forget how they did it. Right. I could, I'm not like totally sure, but uh, yeah, I didn't think. How, it was in, like, I wonder the last, how they do that so because the, yeah, they recorded sound from like the deepest depths of a black hole. And but how'd they do that? Because I thought nothing could escape from a black hole, like including sound waves. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it could have been a reject for this movie. You know what I mean? You hear the sound, and you're like, "Yeah, this is one of the ones they cut when they were when they were editing 2001." You know? <laughs> sounds like sounds like Kubrick sound design. Yeah. Uh, huh. That's but, interesting. no, it is interesting, but also yeah, very unsettling, dude. Like that, like the siren, like the just enough to be like, man. Just enough to feel small. It's so weird too. Like the movie, I feel like the movie keeps putting that into perspective somehow. You know what I mean? When you start to feel like you might know or understand something, it's like, but you don't. Um, what do you, what do you think the monolith represents? Is it, is uh, I'm I'm kind of transferring from, because I feel like we got to talk about the monolith, right? Uh, oh yeah. We also should talk about how, but we are we are on yeah. We got a lot going on, man. This should have been Um, a (laughs) two-parter. Should have been. I guess we keep going and release it in two parts. Um, We'll see how long we go. Yeah, we'll see how long we go. Maybe that's not a bad idea. You need to get a drink down if we do get along. (laughs) Now my my mouth's all super dry. We'll we'll probably just release a long one-parter. Yeah, a long one-parter. Buckle up. (laughs) You're now halfway through Um, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what was they talking about? The monolith. The monolith. Uh, so Kubrick had the idea about this being about like extraterrestrials and stuff. And of course, I think we're supposed to we're supposed to see that. Of course, the the monolith was was buried on the moon by extraterrestrials. And uh, but what what 
what do you think the monolith represents? I just honestly um, think it was a. It, uh, I just think it was a complete accident, coincidence. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was basically saying yeah. There's a lot to talk about with that. I feel like that's kind of like every time. That's like almost like humans or like civilization leveling up in a way, you know. Like that's when they reach the next level. To you know what I mean. Um, that's kind of how I looked at it. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a time of a new era or like it was scientifically, it was a new scientific revolution kind of. Now, do you think, do you think the monolith is imbues humane once they find it? Do you think it imbues them with like, say for example, the dawn of man, does it imbue them with reason or are they on their way to reason? I, I I think it's the the former. Or are they on their way to reason and like the monolith is the signifier of that? Yeah, I can kind of see it both ways, I guess. I guess I look at it as like they're the, – yeah, they get to a point and then they, they have the monogram – like the mono – what is it? Monolith? Monogram? Monolith. 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 <laughs> monogram, yeah, is a projection, right? Uh the monolith is like then gives them the ability to have reason, which then takes them to the next level. Like is the next level always brought on by more reason, you know? Yeah, no, it could be. Yeah. Is that because kind of the I question, the, you know what star- I mean? Yeah. The, the start, cause the Stargate sequence, that's devoid of reason. Right. He can't comprehend that. It's, uh, it's beyond his comprehension, but he's still, it's still taking him when he reaches that monolith on Jupiter, it's still taking him to the next yeah. level. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's very clearly like the monolith is the cause, um, and it's like it's these what the extraterrestrials or whatever entity you want to call it uh, is is leaving this to push humanity forward, yeah, to the next stage. Because when the I think his his name the the monkey's name in the credits and in the book is called Moon Watcher, and when he's you know sitting standing over that uh that skeleton uh you know he's he's he grabs that bone and then he he it it, it shows his face and then it sh- cuts to a picture of the monolith and then it shows his face again yeah and then he kind of cocks his head to the side and starts you know banging around that bone um Which, you know and you would assume that that and it's very much like the the monolith gave him the ability to think yeah to reason uh and then i think that you know that goes on the end too like and then when they buried under the moon it was like i think that one was like well they they if they can once humanity is able to travel to and like excavate the moon like they're they're ready for the next phase you know they're not ready for the next phase when they're still you know two weeks down the road after they started killing stuff with bones they're not ready for the next phase yet but like once they're ability, they're able to uh, navigate space. Then they're like, well, we'll put this one here. It'll send a beacon to Jupiter, and then, like you know, we'll know they're ready. And then once they make it to Jupiter, then you know, then we'll hit them with the next shot of evolution, <laughs> uh, and the next you know the next phase of humanity. Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely see so. that. I definitely agree with that too. Um. Do you want to talk about how? 
I don't know. We can what dip into how. About. I mean, yeah, uh, it's kind of weird because we're there now. You know what I mean? Is he? Every, uh, it seems like every morning I'm like I am asking Alexa if what the temperature is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "I'm sorry, Tom. yeah, I can't do that." No, she's like, "Right now, it's 72." I'm afraid I can't do that, Ty. She's like, but later um, it's going to be 105 in here, <laughs> and all the doors are locked. Uh, shoot. Um, so here's here's a question for you. Was was how was how wrong about the initial uh, malfunction when he says like this this satellite or whatever is going to malfunction? I think so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I think like the, the other idea, option you know, was he like, was he was lying. Right. I think the idea you know is that like oh, um. But I think I think he was wrong too. I yeah, think I think he was wrong because I think the idea is like the, to keep that not like. He has, he, like, as the, as a computer system, it's so advanced that to even correct for its errors, it realizes that even, like, when all outs are, you know, like, you cannot <laughs> admit defeat, you know what I mean? It's so advanced that it just, it also has that, like, uh, emotional, emotionally driven, yeah, fight or flight, yeah. just because of how advanced it is. It it almost goes ego. along with the yeah the the building of the ego. It almost goes along with the uh, the apes too, because you go from like these apes, which is like this communal group, right? And then you know, in a couple uh, scenes later, you're seeing like essentially like uh, corporate America structure talking down. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. very formed um, thing compared to anyways. So do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, Did that rant make any sense at all, or are you just like? Uh, you, so it's almost oh, like you lost s- me at the end oh, there. Okay. <laughs> but I got what you're saying. I think I get the gist of it. Um, Should I reset? Do you think yeah, I he, lost but, everybody with I mean, that? I can, I can refine he's, it. He's acting like he. The, the gist is he's acting like a human. Yeah, and yeah, he's, he's, he's advanced enough to. to he's, he's advanced and come to that reasoning where, like, now he even he's so advanced that like. He'll go to any extreme to protect right. himself and to not yeah. to still be that advanced because, because you can't admit error. Essentially, he was yeah. Because so apparently, I think this this is I don't know if this is true because I don't know enough about chess to. Uh, it's like that always sunny thing. He's like, uh, he's like I, that doesn't sound right, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know enough of that. I don't know enough about the moon to dispute it. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyway, the, apparently, so Kubrick was a huge chess player, huge chess player. He played in like his uh, younger days and like hustled in the park at the chess boards. Um, and anyway, but so in the scene where uh, Frank is playing against Hal and uh, he makes a move and then Hal's like, <laughs> sorry. How's like uh whatever rook to king to blah blah blah. Yeah. Um and he says, "Oh yeah, I suppose you're right. Uh you know, you 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 got me." Something like that. Apparently, how makes a mistake in what he's in what he says. Like something doesn't match up from what from what I've heard or read. Oh. Um he makes a mistake there. So I I think that's like a um a subtle, a very subtle, because most people would not catch that, obviously. Yeah. A very subtle hint that he's already 
he's already off. He's already he's already off his rocker a little. Yeah, bit. off the proverbial uh, technological rocker. Errors are starting to poke bit. through, just even small um, ones. Yeah, and then of course, then he totally, totally loses it, um, and becomes by having air. He pretty much becomes more human because he has the air. And then he's like you said, he's got a he's got to defend himself. And then you know, we see when when uh, uh, Bowman's pulling the pulling the memory cards out or whatever. He's he's like you know he's he's afraid and he's scared. Just like a human would yeah. be when you're killing them, uh, it's it's pretty sad, man. But he's he's the most probably the most interesting character in the whole movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's the one you you most feel. You feel that actually gives you an, like he almost gives you the most emotion from any character in the entire movie. Exactly, you get the most emotion from. You get, so like, you get stoic faces the, from everybody else, or very yeah, angry. Exactly, and they all. <laughs> And they're 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 very monotone. Everybody talks in a monotone yeah. way. You know, the humans are almost robotic, and he's very uh, he's the one that expresses his emotion. Yeah, you know. Um, so then, when he's dying, you're like, wow. So it, it it brings upon the idea of like you know machine ethics and like robotic ethics and stuff like that. And like, what at what point do they reach sentience? What is sentience? Is it moral to? kill a robot and at what point of sentience is it moral to kill a robot yeah. and all kinds of stuff but yeah it tugs at your heartstrings man. yeah when he's singing that that song Whew. yeah <laughs> it's rough yeah it's crazy um and it's crazy how like kind of like i was saying with alexa how kind of real that all is now you know what i mean yeah it's here yeah like our computer could do all that stuff that hal did Consumer prices, not the government's best of the best, Hal 9000, you know, just w- your regular whatever, $400 Acer that you can buy at Walmart can do that, dude. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's here, man. I know. It's wild. But I think, I think like the way that he kind of depicts the emotions through that way too and gives the viewers kind of like we said that, you know, how's on like weighs down the scale in that emotional category i think was just kind of like i don't know i think it was kind of genius too like yeah, everything well everything was genius you know but this, like though. yeah everything was genius it's yeah. silly to say but you, you just like yeah. talk about it and you're like yeah that makes a bunch of sense yeah it's just one more unconventional way to do things yeah. but like it works yeah. um for sure um you got anything else uh, I think we hit m- most of the big big points. Yeah, I don't have. I don't really have anything else. You know, I think that like it was just yeah, it's a really solid movie. You know, sometimes doing movies like this is kind of difficult. You know what I mean? Because like it's so good. Yeah. You know, like it's so good, and it's like we have so much to say about it. But like then when you listen back, it's like were we just rambling about certain aspects? And in our head, we were the just going down yes. weird rabbit holes <laughs> that we never made sense on. Because I feel like I did that at least <laughs> yeah. twice. I started off, and then in my head, I was just like, oh, well, what if? <laughs> Um, <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't really uh, have any, unless, I don't have anything else I want to throw in the soup. I think we're good. All right. Uh, yeah, we've already rambled on long enough, I think, but yeah, no, it is. These are all, a lot of time movies like this are a little unwieldy. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm glad we did I am it too. because I mean, this is, is one of the great, so.
So uh, where can people where can people follow us at, Ryan? So we already talked about our Instagram earlier. You can find pics of Nick Cage cutouts and pics of what's uh, on my bookshelf on Instagram at Roll a Podcast, and you also find us on Twitter at Roll a Podcast. I just tweeted up uh, the other day about uh, doing 2001. So on his, and then of course we retweeted on the podcast page. So you can find us there. You can also email us at rollapodcast@gmail.com. Your thoughts on 2001. Your thoughts on theaters. Your thoughts on movies we've done in the past. Whatever you got, send it our way. Um, well, what are we doing next week, Ty? We're gonna do a bit of a next in two yeah weeks. next episode. We're gonna do a little bit of a palate cleanser. Um, we both haven't seen this movie in a while, but we've both seen it. I'm kind of looking forward to it because, like, even just us talking about it before the podcast, I was like, I think it's going to be good. Uh, we're doing, what is it, 94? 99. 90 something, 99? 99? I think 99. 99 or 98? Uh, it is. I bet it's 98. It's 2000. 2000? It's 2000. Wow. Well, I'll be done. Anyway. Wow. We're doing the 2000 movie Castaway. Tom Hanks and of course Wilson. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you uh you want to take a divergent path from Bo Trevi and yeah. 2001. I mean, Castaway is the answer. I mean, Robert Zemeckis is not Stanley Kubrick. I mean, nothing against Robert. Yeah, Zemeckis, no. Hey, no a, offense, just, no offense. Just a very different just a very different stock of movies. Um so, yeah, so that'll like you said, that'll be a good palate cleanser. Um, do more of a do more of a mainstream accessible film. Um, oh, I think two thousand. I think two thousand one hundred percent was. Bo Traval was not. <laughs> but two thousand one's mainstream. I don't know if accessible is the right word. Oh, uh, you have to pay like what four dollars twenty three cents, or you can go and see it in theaters. No, <laughs> come on, that's pretty accessible. <laughs> it's not like you have to have a VHS tape uh, <laughs> shipped to you via FedEx. <laughs> I mean the accessible in the other sense die. <laughs> what was I gonna say? I guess that was it. So yeah, we're doing Are you yeah, talking about so that'll brains, be uh, smarts. I'm I'm talking about normal story structure. <laughs> Zemeckis loves normal stories. It is very it is very Kubrick, what you expect structure wise. Yeah. But uh anyway, so we're doing that. We'll be back with that in two weeks. Uh anything else? I don't think so. Is I that think it? that's pretty much it, man. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll see y'all in two weeks with Castaway. Catch you then. Mm-hmm.